Well, good morning, folks, and welcome from me uh, this morning, as you've received welcome from others earlier. Uh, we are in our theme, as you're aware, this summer, uh, considering some of the things that the Lion King film brings out for us, the kind of things that maybe prompt us to question or think, and certainly one hopes prompt us to go to the Bible and say, well, what does it say about this kind of thing? And uh, this week we've been considering an idea of the cloud of witnesses, to use the biblical phrase, but, the, you know, the little dots up in the sky that Timon and Pumbaa and Simba all look at in that classic, classic scene. And uh, actually my favourite quote of the entire movie is in that scene, um, where... Uh, Pumbaa um, expounds his theory that in fact they are balls of gas billions of years away burning burning away and uh, and of course Timon just says you know with you Pumbaa everything is gas and uh, just makes me laugh 26 years later that still makes me laugh and actually I think uh, we probably all know somebody like that <laughs> I won't ask you to write the name in the chat that could be considered slightly abusive but we've already thought of who that is, somebody in our life for whom everything is gas. Let us move to the scriptures now and read um, from Hebrews 11 and into 12. I'm going to not read the whole thing, we'll read some verses uh, and jump on forward and you'll be able to see uh, the Bible uh, verses on the screen as well. So here we go, starting at verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land. Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. What more can I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Be to God. And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to hear your voice calling us to the race again. Calling us to run with perseverance again. Minister to us where we need that. Encourage and strengthen as we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, the cloud of witnesses. Now, you read through this passage, we could have read even more and mentioned more names of those great heroes of the faith, they're often called. But we kind of have two problems with this, really, don't we? And I want to unpack those 
ever so slightly first before we look at what they should and can do for us. Our first problem with the cloud of witnesses, I think, is that actually often we feel shame when we read of it. We feel bad. We feel like we've failed in some way. Because we look at their deeds, we look at the great things they've done, we look at um, all, all the stuff that they did for the Lord. And it just seems like when we look at our life, it's full of, well, a slightly disappointing catalogue of, uh, of events at best. Sometimes the guilt we can feel here is total false guilt. It's a little bit like Simba. He feels guilty about the fact that he's killed his father or was responsible for his death. Because he's not, we know that. And he eventually finds that out true. It's false guilt. Sometimes when we look at this, we can think, well, I've not led anyone through a parted ocean. No. But then the Lord didn't ask you to do that. He certainly hasn't asked me. And if he ever does, I trust I will have the faith to do what he asked. But sometimes there can be a false guilt of looking at this and saying, well, well, I haven't done these things. We weren't asked to do those things. You have been asked to do some things. We have been asked to do some things. We all have. We'll come to that later. But sometimes there can be false guilt associated with that. Sometimes there can be real guilt. You know, actually, I haven't lived up to the call. I haven't expressed the faith. I haven't made the choice to do what was asked of me. And we need to face that as well. But shame is not what these cloud of witnesses is intended to do for us. They're listed here not to shame us, challenge maybe, but not to shame us. We should not walk away from this passage or reflecting on these heroes feeling lower and slumped, our eyes cast to the ground. Our gospel is one where there is no condemnation. All have sinned, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, including all of these heroes. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In verse 24, and all are freely redeemed by the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. If we go to our passage here, 12 2, he did not scorn the cross. You know, he went to the cross. He embraced the cross for us. So this cloud of witnesses, it can, sometimes when we read it, we can feel some condemnation there but none is intended, and that's something to totally reject. That's something for us to say, no, actually, there is no condemnation for me, and Jesus has provided sufficient grace, I mean, really sufficient grace, to cover everything and in every way that I may have failed. That's the kind of first thing. The second thing I think when you read this, it, it, certainly for me, is you just feel intimidated. You know, they're so great. These are, these are like legendary names, aren't they? And they've done things which are so unbelievable and excellent and brilliant. And it's not just these people. Sometimes we can feel intimidated by those around, you know, maybe, you know, other Christians, Christians that we know or maybe ones that we see who are, you know, leading this church or that church, maybe even leading our church. And we can feel intimidated by that. But you pick up any one of these characters and you find that you're not looking at someone who was universally good at all. In fact, you don't have to take many of them before you've pretty much covered 
the breaking of all Ten Commandments. You know, they're, they're, they're a sorry bunch of people, these guys. They really are. They are not essentially good people, nor are they competent people. You know, you start to read through and you think, actually, they were asked to do stuff that they were either scared or they didn't know how to do or they, they just simply couldn't do. I mean, they didn't have the abilities for that. They're not necessarily competent. There is some competency here. I'll give them credit for that. But, you know, that is not the mainstay. We're not looking at super good, super competent people. We aren't. We're looking at quite ordinary people, really. But they made a choice of faith. And faith here really was just the choice to say, I choose to do what God says. I choose to reckon that what God has said to me is the truth. Whatever the circumstance around says, I choose to do what God has asked me to do. That's their thing they're commended for. They're commended for this faith choice. And then the competency is provided. So Paul talks in 2 Corinthians uh, 3 about ministering with a competency that comes from God, not that we had it ourselves. That's how he talks there. And this is how these, all of these people here operated, with a competency that comes from God. And their failures where they were not good and righteousness, as we've already looked at for ourselves, was covered by the Lord. The grace of God covers that. So when we look at the cloud of witnesses, they can be things that feel like they kind of curse us a little bit. You know, they, it just feels like, oh my goodness me, this, you know, it makes me feel guilty. It makes me feel intimidated. You know, it's just difficult. And yet that is not what is intended here. What is intended is that we would be challenged and encouraged, inspired by what is written in this passage by these heroes of the faith, that they, we would join together in a ministry. I love that bit later on where it says, you know, plan something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. There's something about us all together in this one mission. Simba in our uh, story in the Lion King, of course, needs to find again the life he is called to. In spite of all the things that just look dreadful, everything that seems undoable, impossible, this can't be done. You know, I failed too much. It's, you know, it's, I don't have the competency to do this. It's impossible. My father is just great. I can't do it. You know, all of that. He needs to go beyond that and say, you are called to lead this kingdom in his case. What are you called to? So I would ask us today, encourage us to think today, what am I called to? And it may be that you really sense you have a specific answer to that question. You know this is what I, God has called me to. It may be you don't, or maybe you have a bit of an inkling. Actually, I don't think it matters whatever your answer to that question is, because what I want to put before us today is a general answer. And that's to say that we've all been called to the same ministry uh, as Paul. I'm going to read this for you. This is from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 9. And in fact, it's from 1 Corinthians. So we'll go back there. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, there we go. And he says this. 
He said, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. And folks, I want to put this before us today, that whatever the specific call you have now from God or may receive in the future from God, there is a call on all of our lives to be all things to all people so that by all possible means we may save some. In the words of St Barnabas at the moment, you know, that we all have this mission to share the goodness of God with everyone. And I want to encourage us that this is the thing we were called to. May these people of faith from the path, in past inspire us to live out that general calling and perhaps as well some other specific callings in and around that. That we would be all things to all people. Strive to be that so that by all possible means we may save some. There's the challenge. There's an encouragement too from these cloud of witnesses. This is what they should do really, is encourage us to run the race. To run the race. To be part of what's happening. To be part of everything that is going on in terms of the kingdom of God. They are our compatriots, as it were, with us. For me, one of the greatest races ever run uh, and many, many would perhaps agree with this too, is the 800 metres at the 2012 Olympic Games. Um, the whole series of 800 metres races there were pretty incredible, but the final is the one that stands out more than anything. Uh, if you don't remember it, let me just give you the basic highlights for it. This was a race in which all the finishers ran a personal best or season's best. One ran a season's best. Seven of them ran a personal best. The fastest time they personally had ever run. There were a number of national records in there. There were a number of regional records in there. And the guy who won the race, David Radisha, broke the Olympic and world record. It was an astonishing race. The guy who came last, who was British, somewhat predictably, he, um, his time was so fast, it was a personal best for himself, but it was so fast that in all but two of the previous Olympics, he would have won not just a medal, he would have won the gold medal. This is how incredible this race was. What is going on here? And a few things were going on, certainly for our British guy at the back. You know, he probably, his best race was in fact the semi-final. He didn't run as fast, but he ran it tactically brilliantly to qualify one of the two qualifiers um, uh, in that race. He was the second one. The first one was David Rudisha, who was the guy who was always going to qualify. So in a sense, in his semi-final, there was only space for one direct qualifier. And he got it. He ran a tactically brilliant race and got it. For a bridge guy there, he's surrounded by this massive crowd of supporters cheering him on. Significantly in that crowd, are the great 800 metre runners of the past. You know, thrilled to be here and see this year's 800 metres. Also in the crowd are some of the greats from other disciplines, from sport in general, who know that this final is going to be something else. And what about in the field? These are the best guys in the world in this race with him. And perhaps most significantly, the guy who led from start to finish, David Rudisha, is the finest 800 metre runner that's ever been. 
and his speed. The way he ran that race dragged everyone along. They were hanging on to his coattails, as it were, hanging on to his bib. Everyone in that race would say part of their great inspiration was him. And the reason the race was so fast and everyone ran so brilliantly was him. This is what the cloud of witnesses is supposed to It's to be like the crowd and the people in the race and the greats from the past who spur us on. And like our British friend, you know, yes, it wasn't his best race, but he did cross the finish line. He did it in his fastest time ever. And let's be fine to him and let's be honourable to him and say he had skin in the game. He was there. He was there. He was there in this Olympic final. I wasn't there. He was there. This cloud of witnesses is meant to do that for us. Inspire us to run the race with perseverance that has been set before us. To spur us on. Yes, we may not run a perfect race. But we were there, and ultimately, we will cross the finish line. So as we take time now going forward to reflect on maybe what God is saying to us in particular, to worship and, and receive ministry from the Holy Spirit, touching our lives, and then to discuss whether in communities or if you want to join the uh, the central Zoom as somebody who's new to the church or uh, it doesn't have a, a sort of natural place to go in terms of community, then please do uh, become part of that. As we go into all of that, may we be challenged and encouraged by the great cloud of witnesses that is around us, spurring us on, willing us on to run the race of our life. And may we know the Lord's grace on us, that there would be no shame. May we know the Lord's grace on us, that we would share in the competency that those before us have had and those around us have, not because they're special, but because God is. May you receive this grace, folks. So Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and minister to us individually. What are you saying to us? Where would you encourage us? Where would you challenge us today? In Jesus' name.